This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Our guest today, and he has some platforms, some software that you may need to know about if you are an operator or passive investor. His name is Andy Krebar. He's a CEO, co-founder of Honeybricks, which is on a mission to unlock the potential of commercial real estate investing. He spent his career working in fintech and real estate. He lives in New York with his young family. He's going to dive into a couple of platforms I feel like are going to be somewhat eye-opening and are, are just part of the future. It's going to happen whether we like it or not. But I know today you're, you're probably going to have some questions and I encourage you to reach out to Andy after the show and dive in on how potentially how some of this can help you. Andy, welcome to the show. You have some pretty amazing products here that I know there are software that I know it seems like it's going to change our industry in a big way. I'm looking forward to diving in, but I want to hear a little more about you, how you got to Honeybricks, how you got to where you're at now in this process. Sure, Whitney, and thanks so much for having me on. So I'm Andy, uh, as you heard, I'm one of the, the co-founders and the CEO of Honeybricks. My journey with real estate actually started a little over 12 years ago. I was lucky enough to buy my first uh, apartment in 2012 back in a, a little place called Bondi, which is in, in Sydney, Australia. And over the last 15 years, we've held that one, been lucky enough to invest in a few more. And I've just really seen real estate as an incredibly powerful platform for wealth creation and also as an incredibly beautiful asset that helps people have a great quality life and those sorts of things. So a couple of years ago, me and my co-founder set out on building Honeybricks, which helps sponsors raise and manage capital. And we do that through an online platform. And we also have a white label product called GP Flow that basically allows sponsors to manage all their investor operations themselves without having access to the Honeybricks marketplace. Wow. What was between this first apartment in Honeybricks? Long journey. So it was 2012. I was actually working in investment banking at the time in Australia. And I had a few years of that, then moved to San Francisco in 2015. My wife and I packed up all our stuff, sold our, all our possessions, except a couple of apartments. I moved across to, to SF, where we've been for the last eight years. And I got started in a few uh, fintech marketplaces over the course of 2015 to 2018. And then I launched another company with my co-founder called Sapling, which was in B2B software. And we were very lucky, had a great outcome with that. And then we got started with Honeybricks about 12 months ago, um, which has been a fantastic journey. It's definitely been, as someone said the other week, a baptism of fire. I think we launched the company in February 2022, just before the rate hiking cycle started in March 2022. So it's been a great journey so far, but we'll be here for next few years, you know, building and doing what we're passionate about. Yeah, that's awesome. Give us a, you know, a, a quick briefing on Honeybricks. So what is that? Who's the, who's the prime client for that? You know, what, maybe what type of operator? I don't know. Just give us, what does it do for them? Let's dive in there a little bit. For sure. So the, the genesis for Honeybricks started, as I said, about 12 months ago. And the key thing was, how do we enable syndicators to have access to more capital? Obviously, it's, it's a lifeblood of the business, you know, operating real estate, but also managing investors. And there was a huge pool of investors in uh, alternate markets that were using different sorts of digital securities that wanted access to the stability, the cash flow, the appreciation, all the great stuff that goes with real estate. So we launched a platform called Honeybricks, which basically gave sponsors um, access to these different communities. And with those sponsors, we were taking minority LP stakes in their, their deals. These are generally mid-market multifamily investments, so between, call it 15 to $50 million um, acquisitions. And we were pulling between quarter of a million and a million dollars investments as an uh, isolated uh, special purpose vehicle, which would bring all the investors um, and would help the sponsor use our technology to manage all those investors. And that's been you know, very successful the last 12 months. We've done uh, a number of different investments with great sponsors um, across the US. And yeah, that's that's Honeybricks. So is it ultimately, uh, let me just uh, break this down a little bit the way I understand it at the moment. So if I had a deal on there, I launch a deal on Honeybricks, you all would raise money on your platform for that opportunity. Then you come in as real, is it like a fund to fund through an SPV or a side letter or something like that? 
to invest in that deal as as one large LP. Is that accurate? Yeah, that's that's broadly accurate. So we, we sit as an LP in that uh, in that investment structure. Generally, we we help the sponsor market and you know, raise capital themselves. So it's similar to a traditional crowdfunding platform, like many of the big names you'll know. Uh, but that SPV is managed by Honeybricks, and we do just come in as a single counterparty uh, to that transaction. So we sit as an LP, just like any other LP, and we manage all those investors downstream for them. Okay, interesting. And so what kind of, I guess, give us some, uh, since you're sitting on that side of the platform, you know, you see all these deals, you know, what are some of the the deals uh, specifically lately, maybe that you could tell us that investors have wanted in more than others? Like why, why some, why not some others? Or, or can you share any of that? Yeah, uh, I would start that the, everything on the Honeybricks marketplace is reviewed by our investment committee. So we have a handful of, of people that review everything that's um, submitted. And generally needs to be a good fit for the marketplace. I think the way you've seen crowdfunding marketplaces evolve over the last 10 years since the Jobs Act, it's really been higher on the quality curve than the marketplaces that have succeeded. It's not a, a Craigslist for real estate. It's really around finding you know, great sponsors and great markets with great track records, all those sorts of things. Um, so once it sort of fits into that, well, then we can review different investment opportunities. The market's obviously evolved a ton uh, since, since the rate hiking cycle started. What investors are really looking at is cash on cash returns. I think that the focus on IRR or equity multiples has softened a little bit. And I think we've seen increased focus on debt packages. I think everything but, but one investment in the Honeybricks marketplace has all been fixed rate debt packages. But it's a key thing that investors are looking at now when we we bring something to the marketplace and soft sound it, which is fantastic. What's the debt look like? Um, because it has so much influence on on where we are in this cycle. So I'd probably say big focus on cash on cash, but as well as all the standard stuff like track record, great sponsors, all those sorts of things. Yeah. No, that's interesting. I mean, in seeing the the number of deals, you know, potentially through the platform, and but then also getting to see the investors' reactions, right, on that kind of scale is just pretty valuable, I think, right. Uh, and just having that kind of information, that's interesting. And and I don't disagree. I think we're seeing a lot of the same things as far as investors focus more on cash on cash, uh, but ex- specifically the type of debt at the moment that an operator has is going to determine so many investors' decisions, uh, you know, to move forward or not. I would say as well, probably recently in the last six months, we do have a lot of sponsors that come knocking on our door saying like, we need to raise capital. Fantastic. You know, love to get to know you. Let's hear about your firm, the track record, the deal. A lot of these things have, you know, floating debt, debt things, uh, floating debt pieces attached to it. Unfortunately, we can't provide rescue capital f- from the marketplace. I think it's a big focus on making sure that the deal is attractive by itself. We're working with the sponsors to, to find the right deal and then the right fit for the marketplace. Yeah. Are you all looking mostly for, let's say a, a majority LP position or how does that typically work? Or, or does the operators ever raise capital alongside or, or do you all come in with all of it? It's flexible. I would say they have all been minority LP positions so far. And that's really been driven by the size of capital that's being raised on the Honeybricks marketplace. So let's say being quarter million, a million dollars. Generally, when we're looking at 20, 30 million dollar assets, you know, the entire LP slice might be 10 or $50 million. So you can get a sense of where we sort of sit as far as sizing. Sponsors do raise capital alongside us and really they use our white label software platform called GP Flow to do that. So they can bring both their investors and Honeybricks investors from the marketplace into that SPV. And by being in that SPV, what those investors get access to is really just the nature of the digital securities that underline the SPV. So we put that SPV, uh, we actually all tokenize it on the, the blockchain. So these become digital securities and investors amongst that uh, SPV have new access to liquidity, flexibility, and you know, borrowing against their securities, all sorts of stuff. 
Okay. I want to come back to that because I know that triggered a number of questions from listeners right there. <laughs> but but it's incredible. I, I was just sharing with you before the show. I think it's so impressive. But well, let's just go ahead and go there. So let's make sure we have time. So do you mention this platform called GP Flow? How, how does that connect to Honeybricks or, and does it or how does an operator use one or both or just a high level there? And then let's dive into GP Flow. For sure. So GP Flow is a white label uh, software platform similar to a number of investor management platforms you see uh, in the marketplace. And the difference is we do it all with digital securities. So we have the investor management coupled with digital security management. As far as how that interacts with Honeybricks, sponsors on GP Flow um, can nominate one of their deals reviewed by the investment committee of the Honeybricks marketplace. It fits within a strict criteria that the investment committee is sort of looking for. And we believe that we can support that sponsor to raise capital in the Honeybricks marketplace. Then we'll have that deal marketed on the Honeybricks platform. As far as what that criteria looks like, it's a 15% IRR, low risk as far as leverage business plans. It's plus 5% cash on cash. It's sponsors with good track records, those sorts of things. It's a very small subset, but it does provide different sponsors access to, to new and differentiated pools of capital. Okay. Explain a little bit about how it's, you know, connected to, you know, the digital securities, how that works a little bit. You know, all of us aren't going to understand it at the level you do, of course, but at least, you know, explain the best, the best you can how, you know, in putting a deal in GP flow, all of a sudden there's digital securities or how it uses blockchain to help uh, provide liquidity and, you know, some of the security side of that for investors as well. For sure. So it's all for the standard stuff as far as how it's structured legally, compliantly, those sorts of things. What's actually happening is the the SPV, which is typically a Delaware LLC. You can use Wyoming's or other stuff like that. It's actually the membership interest of the LLC. So it'll be an operating agreement, the subscription docs, and ultimately investors get membership interest in that LLC. Then there's what there's called a, a tokenization plan, which is put into the operating agreement. And even the sponsors we're not working with, we say, look, if you're doing a new syndication, get this language in there. It's completely optional if you want to activate it. It'll save you a vote later. But what that tokenization plan allows syndicators to do is at their discretion, generally, they can um, tokenize that syndication and subscribers can take their membership interests and then convert those to digital securities. What that basically means is they're taking their membership interests and instead they're getting digital securities in a digital wallet. Now, that's all white labeled. Investors don't need to know anything about blockchain and digital securities. It's all white labeled for their, for their investor portal. But ultimately, what it allows is that, say, Sally, after 12 months, wants to sell her securities, wants to transfer to a beneficiary, wants to redeem her securities, stuff like that. It's a far simpler process. I'm sure many of your listeners have been involved. Now, know that transferring membership interests and syndications is super tough. You need legal compliance, you need escrow, you need a settlement agent, you need cap table reconciliation, all that stuff. That's all abstracted away if you're doing it with digital securities. It's all just a, an online cap table, one source of truth, and everyone can agree on you know, Sally gave Mary $10,000 and securities went from Mary to Sally in, in one transaction. How does that affect the operator? Uh, some of their questions. I know it may not affect them at all, but I still want you to just explain what that looks like on the operator side when an investor's say selling that security to, to you know to another investor. Yeah, it's really governed by what's in the operating agreement. If they put this tokenization plan language in and they have the option to do that, they can have strict controls around what that looks like. For example, lockup periods, which are generally governed by regulation. They can have valuation parameters. They can have rights of first refusal. They can have different windows. You know, perhaps we can't tell securities in the first three years. Um, anything and everything that the sponsor wants can actually be put in that operating agreement. There's some standard language, but ultimately it's up to the operator what they want to do with their syndication. Yeah. And then speak to the value that creates for the investors. I know that, you know, the liquidity, of course, but, you know, just speak to, you know, or do you see that as, as being something that investors are on board about at the moment? Or maybe it's more of like, okay, three years from now, investors are going to understand this a lot better, or it's going to be a big benefit. Or, you know, how do you, how do you see that, you know, coming about over the 
the next few years and how investors see that happening? Oh, for sure. I think the biggest hurdle is education. I think we take the view three to five years from now, all syndications we to- we tokenize are the vast majority, but investors won't even know what's behind the technology. It's as simple as using email today. Um, we're not there yet. I think it's a few years away. Um, so the key thing that, that sponsors need to get comfortable with is make sure it's not going to disrupt the deal, disrupt their investors, um, all those sorts of things. It's going to be you know, simple and easy easy for them. Okay. No, that's interesting. I, I just There's a lot, so much to learn around this, right? And I do think it does go back to education like you're talking about. Uh, what other questions do you get, say, from operators around you know, doing this, right? Tokenizing their syndication or securities that, that I wouldn't even know to ask you. Probably the, the first one we get is like, is this cryptocurrency? You know, it's not. But the Bitcoin's... 27 grand or 100 grand or two grand. It doesn't matter. It doesn't affect the value of the real estate. Um, the second one is around just regulation. There's people who are like, is this even legal in the US? And the SEC has been very clear around, you know, what tokenized securities are. These are private placements, the five or six Bs or Cs. You know, as far as transfers, you need to do it under section 481 and a half or 187 or rule 144. So it's, it's all the same legal body, which I think is a key thing getting sponsors comfortable with it. And probably... I could go on forever on the FAQs, but probably on the third one is as far as do I have control over who's actually going to be in this syndication, which is a key one, a very important one, because we don't want any bad actors or you know malicious investors on our, on our cap table. That's governed by the approved investor list. So there's another smart contract that basically has everyone's digital wallet address, which is basically tied to an individual or an account. What that means is if, uh, coming back to our example, Sally and, and Mary, I think it was, if Sally tries to sell to Peter with this syndicate has no idea who Peter is, doesn't know if they're accredited, doesn't know if they're eligible, doesn't know who they are, doesn't want an investor, the transaction won't go through. Um, it's actually embedded in the security interest. So what that means is that sponsors have complete control over who's on their cap table. Um, but where it's really valuable is for sponsors with lots of members. You know, we meet, we speak to some syndicators that have you know, 1,000 LPs, 2,000 LPs, and unlocking liquidity amongst that LP base is really powerful for them. And we think it's going to help bring you know next generation investors into private real estate, which is historically a, a pretty liquid asset. Yeah. No, and I'm glad the the very first question, I knew it wasn't Bitcoin, but I'm I'm sure we get questions like that all the time. But I, I'm glad you mentioned that because I'm sure there's listeners that said, wait a minute, you know, I don't have I don't have Bitcoin to invest in a syndication or uh, that type of thing. But more so, uh, I mean, just to make this very simple, you know, the, the blockchain is is the technology behind all the transactions, right? You know, it's it's the way to keep it secure. It's that it's all documented, and and we have actually done some other shows on that, but. But it's it's really putting that type of security and that type of transaction ability behind a syndication. Exactly. If you're doing this, simplify it down, it's basically just an online cap table. That's all it is. And what an online cap table does, it removes all these reconciliation costs of who's got the securities, who's allowed to have these securities. Did Sally sell to Steve? All that sort of stuff. It's just like one online cap table, which everyone can use and verify what they own, who owns what, you know, what distribution has been paid, all that stuff. Are there different FAQs that I wouldn't know to ask you as far as from the passive investor side? You know, if they're looking at a deal that, you know, that's backed by on a a blockchain platform like this, what what are their concerns or, you know, that I wouldn't even know to ask you as well? Yeah, today it really attracts an an investor that's focused on flexibility. We don't like to say liquidity because real estate's a long-term investment. And it's about hitting ones and twos repeatedly, you're not shooting for the stars. What that means is a focus on understanding, okay, well, this is a very interesting way of doing it. And private markets are heading that way. How do I sell? When do I sell? You know, can I sell? What valuation? Um, is there going to be a guaranteed market? It's probably the key thing that LPs look for. Um, the way we answer that question when it does come up is you always try and help them focus on long-term nature of real estate. But there's generally two windows to specifically answer that question. The first one is private resale, which subject to a number of different documents, end of distribution period, stuff like that. Generally, there's a private resale window after six months. 
in which Sally and Steve are both in serious syndication. Sally can send us to Steve up to six months, subject to a number of requirements. Then there's a rule 144, which is after 12 months, these private securities can be eligible for public resale. And that actually can also bring in non-accredited investors into the investor pool. Uh, but that's ultimately when different markets get unlocked. Now, in the US, there's a number of alternate trading systems, um, ATSs, that operate these, these private market securities. What that ultimately means is uh, one of those investors could take that set of digital securities, go to one of these you know, public exchanges, assuming it's approved by the sponsor, and have access to a much broader set of investors that could uh, could purchase that interest. Yeah, wow. Well, unfortunately, we're going to move on to a few final questions, Andy, I, but I, I think it's been a great... It's educational like to expose uh, our investors and operators to platforms like this, right? That this is coming. I think whether we like it or not, right? You know, there's there's options like this that are going to provide a lot of benefits to us as operators, I think, and our investors to be able to back it by blockchain or, you know, just this type of technology uh, that's probably going to be the future, right? You know, more and more. The general consensus we see is, I think people agree it's the future. It's just over what time horizon are we thinking about? Um, Because I think, you know, blockchain or digital securities is a foreign word for a lot of syndication today. Um, But I think if you look at the underlying benefits of it and look at the adoption and the, you know, the black rocks of the world and stuff like that, it is coming. It's just a matter of, uh, of when. You know, over the in the next, uh, you know, let's say twelve to eighteen months, do you have any predictions about the real estate market or any ways that that's governing how you all are operating? I don't have a crystal ball. When uh, investors, LPs, on the Honeybricks platform do ask about that, I try and separate the issue in around two things, which is the fundamentals of real estate, which is what's you know what's rent growth, what's occupancy, you know how the general economy, and then there's the actual uh, the capital structure or capital markets of real estate. I think fundamentals have been generally strong in most most markets, uh, you know that we look at it at least. But what's been really disruptive over the last 12 months has been you know, capital market disruptions, you know, debt packages changing, investors being spooked, all those sorts of things. So why separate those two things, which is that capital markets are really tough to focus on. But if you have a view on the fundamentals, you stay in you know, good submarkets with good rent growth, with good sponsors, real estate will do its thing over the next five to 10 years. I'll be very surprised in 10 years if real estate's you know below where it is today, but I can't tell you what it's going to do in the next 18 months. Sure. What about your best advice for passive investors? We always uh, try and help Sponsors, sorry, not sponsors. Passive investors focus on the sponsor. Um, often they'll quick to jump, quick to jump to the IRR, the cash on cash, or the deal. So like, look at the deal second or even third. Focus on the sponsor. Um, you know, do you trust this individual? Have they got a track record? Do you really believe in and what they're doing and and what they you know what they stand for as a company as a business? If you get comfortable with that, then you can start looking at the market or, or the deal specifically. But I think new investors getting involved, it's really about working with great sponsors with strong track records that know how to manage the inevitable bumps, the ups and downs that uh, will come along the, the journey. What are some of the most important metrics that you track? It could be personally or professionally. It could be your bench press number or it could be you know something. How many deals you all are looking at? Most important metrics. I'll give you a personal one. I'll give you a business one. Personal one. I started this this year saying I'm going to try and exercise every day, whether it's lifting weights, whether it's running, whether it's playing basketball, whatever it may, may be. I'm still doing it. What day 90, 94, quite exhausted. So I don't know how long, much longer I'll last, but it's very tough to break the chain once you have it going. So we'll see if I can make it all of 2023. Every day. Wow. Yeah. It doesn't need to be something big. It's just like skip for 20 minutes or lift some weights or go for a run. Let's try and do something. Yeah. That's awesome. Business wise, the key thing we look at is I'll speak about Honeybricks in a sense. There's two numbers we look at, which is how many investors do we have on the platform? And then how many active investors do we have actually actively in investing in different real estate investments? Um, and converting that second number on top of the first number is obviously a key focus for our, our company's growth. And um, why we look at that is we see a huge amount of interest at the moment in people wanting to get started in 
passive investing, investing in, in high quality commercial real estate, but actually, you know, pulling the trigger and actually making the first investment is often the hardest thing. So we look at both those numbers because we know that you know, eventually these things are cyclical and confidence will return to the investment community. And we know we can just keep growing and providing education and building trust with that overarching investors on the platform number. We know that conversion will come in time. What is your best source for meeting or marketing to new investors now? It's been content. Generally, our most of the investors on the platform are They've invested in one or two syndications before. They're familiar with real estate, but they really want to grow their portfolio and build you know, long-term durable wealth. So to do that, to attract that audience, we just focus on content. Stuff like you know, separating opportunistic from value add, you know, understanding core versus core plus. We have to release something on taxation benefits between syndications and REITs. It's really just it's helping those early adopters or early investors really get comfortable with what they're doing and make informed investment decisions. What's uh, you know some habits that you have that have produced the highest return for you? Wow. I'll drop the exercise one. I'll probably take it this way. Probably affirmations. I listened to a, a great, great video earlier early this year with um, Napoleon Hills. I think it's um, Outwitting the Devil. And to the audience, if you haven't, the book's fantastic. But there's actually an audio book where the reader's actually done it with impersonated the devil and the, the other person. And they've done like voiceovers. And it's a very incredible audio book about, uh, I think it's Napoleon Hill actually interviewing the devil. And from that, you know, one of the key things Napoleon Hill speaks about is his affirmations and, and all that sort of stuff. So that's been uh, very helpful over the course of yeah, probably the last six months. Wow, that's interesting. Uh, how do you like to give back? Actually, I coach basketball teams. Um, normally between ages of, of 12 and 16. I'm a huge basketball fan and loving it for the last probably 20 years of my life and helping kids learn layups, shoot threes, pass the ball, you know, be part of a, a team, both in, in winning and losing and learning from it. It's an absolute blast. I love doing it. That is awesome. Yeah, helping them in winning and losing, right? Totally. Don't learn anything if you're winning. That is right. Andy, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show and to meet you and really to, man, to dive into some platforms, which I, I feel are, are going to take off, right? I, in, the, in the very near future. I, I do. I, I just think the, the blockchain technology and, and the way that you all are hopefully making that a simple, more simple, right? For operators, you know, like myself uh, to be able to utilize that kind of platform, right? Where we're not the blockchain experts, you know, or to figure that out on our own or create our own system. But, you know, we could potentially use something, you know, like what you all have created to to provide that same liquidity options and those benefits for our investors uh, as well. So great to have you on the show and really open our eyes to these platforms that you all have created uh, and the benefits of them. Uh, tell the listeners how they can get in touch with you and learn more about you. For sure, Winnie. I greatly appreciate you having me on. Uh, you can learn more about us at honeybricks.com or gpflow.com. Honeybricks is our consumer-facing and real estate investing marketplace. GP Flow is, is our software platform. Thank you for being with us again today. I hope that you have learned a lot, a lot from the show. Don't forget to like and subscribe. I hope you're telling your friends about the Real Estate Syndication Show and how they can also build wealth in real estate. You can also go to lifebridgecapital.com and start investing today. 